note that this episode of Bits and Bricks contains instances of misuse of the Lego trademark, which must always be used as an adjective and never a noun. As a reminder, it is never appropriate to refer to the company that designs and produces Lego brand products as Lego. Rather, the correct name for the company overall is the Lego Group. I'm excited because this is the first time, as you know, in three years that we've been able to actually be together in person and celebrate a play day. And on top of play day, we have a 90th anniversary coming on tonight. So this is a very, very special day. Excited? Yeah. Are you ready to play and party? Are you? Yeah. Yeah. I hope everyone is ready to play and party because this is a very special episode of Bits and Bricks. Actually, the first of two episodes. Yeah, you know, what we just heard was Niels B. Christensen, the CEO of the Lego Group, talking to more than 5,000 Lego Group employees spread out across the acreage that lies between the newly constructed Lego campus in Billund, Denmark, and the original Legoland amusement park nearby. He and all of those employees were there to do something pretty unique for an international billion-dollar company. Play. Play and also celebrate the company's 90th anniversary, which was on August 10th, 2022. So every year, with the exception of the past few years, for obvious reasons, the Lego Group sets aside a day for the company to get back to its roots and play. They try their best to include everyone. So while this massive party was going on in Denmark, there were other play days happening around the world. Billund's play day essentially turned the company's sprawling footprint into a sort of carnival with booths designed to celebrate the Lego Group's history, its current work, and even its future. While the play day in other locations may not have been as big, they were just as creative. You know, Ethan, I have it on good authority that the London offices included a chance to book an appointment with puppies. Puppies? Yeah, you could have a puppy appointment. I think I may have had to block out my entire day if I were there. But you weren't. No, yes. Instead, we were in Billund. That's right. For the first time in the nearly two-year history of Bits and Bricks, we actually got a chance to talk in person for this show. And we're bringing you along, dear listener, along with us on our trip to and through Billund, Denmark, birthplace of the Lego brick, of Legoland, and home to the company's headquarters, its private archives and museums, and the stunning public Lego house. And we've visited all of those places, got behind-the-scenes tours, and access typically restricted to a limited few. Of course, we also chatted with some of the thousands of people who work every day to make the world a bit more joyful through Lego bricks. We also toured the town that is home to the brick and talked with city officials about how the city and the company work hand-in-hand to move beyond the toy. Now, in this first episode, we're focused on the Lego Group, telling the story of this special week for us and the Lego Group that culminated on a Friday with a massive Lego party. 
Sometimes we'll talk about the past, sometimes we'll talk about the present, and sometimes we'll talk about the future. Sometimes we'll talk about all three simultaneously. Why? Because the Lego Group is a company that creates the future and the present informed by the past. And the best way to learn how they do that is to examine all three. Bits and Bricks. Welcome to Bits and Bricks, a podcast about all things Lego Group. I'm Ethan Vincent. And I'm Brian Crescenti. Together, we look back at the rich history of the Lego brand and chat with designers, thought leaders, and innovators who all work for one of the most popular and respected toy companies in the world, the Lego Group. So all of us, you know, Brian, who everyone knows. Hi. (laughs) Myself. Uh, Dave, our producer, and Trish, who's uh, Brian's wife, but also does all the transcription and all the things behind the scenes to to help with bits and bricks. We all flew into Billund in early June, loaded down with recording equipment, and we're just excited to finally talk face-to-face with some of the people we've been emailing, you know, direct messaging, and interviewing over the past two years, right, Brian? Yeah, that first day was a bit of a blur. We were jet-lagged and spent it touring the Lego house and Legoland. And we'll get to that a bit more in our next episode, which examines the relationship the Lego group has with Billund and how that relationship between the two has helped both become better than the sum of its parts. Billund in Denmark, in many ways, is the ultimate company town. Founded in the 17th century, its history goes as far back as the 1200s. And it's deeply tied to the history of the Lego brick. In 1916, Ole Kirk Christensen, who would go on to form the Lego company, bought Billund Woodworking and Carpentry Shop. Eventually, Ola would transition from furniture to wooden toys to plastic, and finally, the Lego brick. He always ran the business with a sense of responsibility to both his workers and the town, for instance, helping to create a new dairy and church there. That close connection continued throughout the decades, with the Lego group building a playground north of town and a lake in the 50s. And then in 1964, the company built an airport for its use that it later handed over to the town of Billund. When you fly into Billund, you get an immediate sense that you're flying into the land of the Lego brick. You can see Legoland and its affiliated hotels right near the end of the runway. And the Lego house, which looks like a pile of Lego bricks from the sky, stands out in the center of town. And you can even see the new corporate campus. You know, that is unless you're looking out the windows on the other side of the plane, like I was. (laughs) Then you see farmland stretched out to the horizon. I mean, it's worth noting that Billund is not a massive city, and it sort of plopped down in the middle of Denmark, about an hour east from the North Sea and an hour and a half or so north of the German border, actually. What I found fascinating was that despite being home to the second largest airport in the country, and of course Legoland, the Lego House, and the headquarters of the Lego Group, Billund still maintains its small-town feel. Trish and I spent the first day walking around town. It's small. I actually looked it up. The city itself is about three square miles. So you can walk everywhere. And inside that space, you have a number of Lego group offices, buildings, archives, one of the company's factories. But there's also other attractions like the water park resort Lalandia, uh, the Teddy Bear Museum, and the WOW Outdoor Park. Despite the mix of things, ultimately, it wound up feeling a bit like a town full of Lego buildings with a few non-Lego things in between. 
Perhaps it's silly to dismiss the Danish homes, restaurants, gas stations, and grocery store, but that's sort of how I remember it. The centerpiece of the town, though, right, is definitely the Lego House, which stands on the former grounds of the Billund City Hall. The whole area is being rebuilt and modernized. It's quite impressive. Yeah, and, you know, we'll get into that much more in our next episode where we talk to the mayor and others about the deep impact the Lego Group has had and continues to have on the town, not least of which includes buying City Hall and tearing it down to build the Lego house. But don't worry, it's not as extreme as it sounds. But for today's episode, we're focusing on the 90th anniversary, the Play Day, which happened on the Friday after we arrived, and some of the amazing people who work at the LEGO Group. One of our first interviews was with Sean McAvoy, vice president of LEGO Games and a regular guest on Bits and Bricks. But this time around, we got a chance to chat in person at the LEGO Group's Hawamarkin office. This older office is located on the outskirts of Billund, not too far from the Billund LEGO factory. Like most of the LEGO Group's offices in Billund, you knew you were in a LEGO Group building the second you walked through the door. There were giant LEGO brick builds all over the foyer, including a life-sized Batman, a child-sized character from the LEGO Friends theme set, and an array of other LEGO Bricks creation. It was actually quite amazing. We sat down with Sean in a meeting room just feet from Batman's brooding statue for a wide-ranging chat about the state of LEGO video games, the metaverse, and, of course, the company's landmark 90th anniversary. While the LEGO Group is celebrating that anniversary this year, the company has only been making video games for 26 of those years. And Sean pointed out that he started a bit more than five years ago at the company. When I first arrived, it was incredibly eye-opening to see how much had been achieved, how much had been endeavored, you know, what kind of innovation was brought to bear at the LEGO Group with respect to digital play and games specifically. And I think the journey that we've been on in these past years with just an awesome team who, you know, just absolutely shoot for the stars in everything they do is to take games from that legacy and that foundation of digital play over the past 25 years and bring it closer to the core experience of the Lego group all towards that 2032 aspiration of digital play as a cornerstone of the brand. So that's the mission we're on. And... We could not be more excited, and games will be a big part of it. That journey, which we spent more than a year chronicling on Bits and Bricks, is most recently epitomized by LEGO Star Wars The Skywalker Saga, which Sean calls the best and fastest-selling title in the history of LEGO video games, as well as the best-reviewed LEGO title of all time. It arrives at what Sean calls a transformative moment for LEGO video games, a time of huge opportunity ushered in by LEGO Star Wars and potentially fueled by the recent news of the company's partnership with Epic Games on a future metaverse title. LEGO Games is one expression of digital play at the LEGO Group, and I think the expression of digital play at the LEGO Group can be even bigger and broader than games specifically. And, you know, digital play experiences, innovative, hands-on, deep and playful experiences in the digital space don't always have to be a game specifically. They can be bigger and broader. So something like the Epic Partnership, for example, there will be play experiences that will emerge from that partnership that we're incredibly excited about, but we're also equally excited about the opportunity to create kind of safe spaces for kids and families in the metaverse to come, um, the metaverse as it exists, and really to invent kind of a new space on digital platforms that didn't exist previously. 
the sort of last version of the internet was not necessarily built with kids and families in mind. Can we try for something different this time? That's a partnership that really expresses that from sort of its core tenet and is looking to create those experiences and spaces for kids and families. And there will be play experiences related to that. Equally, we can envision that there will be sort of social gathering places and entertainment experiences. So it's really, the opportunity is broad. It's all-encompassing to some degree. Games are in there for sure, but bigger and broader if we get it right. So this is interesting, Ethan, because as I know you're aware, the metaverse is one of the big topics in not just the video game industry, but all of technology these days. Yeah, I know the Lego Group has been exploring this evolution of the web and technology for a bit now. In fact, I think they even had you host a talk for Lego video games on the topic not too long ago. They did. Experts came in to talk about the importance, value, and state of what some people call the metaverse and others might refer to as Web 3.0. So where Web 1.0 was all about people consuming information, Web 2.0 was powered more by user-generated content and interactions. Web 3.0 is, well, what is it exactly, Brian? Yeah, that's the billion-dollar question. I think it involves everything from semantics, AI, 3D graphics, connectivity, and on and on and on. And in a lot of people's eyes, a company like Epic, creators of the Unreal Engine that powers so many games and the developers of the wildly popular Fortnite game, is in a great position to tap into that in a uniquely LEGO DNA-valued way. And Sean, of course, has a lot to say on the topic. One of the places that we're really putting a lot of focus is on the notion of how can we create spaces that are fundamentally safe, fun at their core, right? These are really two pillars we absolutely have to get right. And then also over time thinking about how is it that we can explore notions of digital play experiences that contribute to well-being. So we're actively working with our internal partners within the LEGO Group, also within the sort of broader entities related to the LEGO Group to look at research, to look at scholarship uh, in that space, to really better understand if we're bringing these products to bear in what you just described, right? The metaverse or, or Web3 or however we want to describe it. Um, How can we do that in the most thoughtful way that really captures the values of the LEGO Group, captures the sort of values of the partnership that we've established with Epic Games, and looks to create almost a wholly new space that hasn't existed before for kids and families? And that's a super exciting aspect of this journey that we're working on very hard in real time. Do you feel like this moving forward, let's call it metaverse, is that something that LEGO Games is going to guide or is that a broader topic that's going to sort of be tackled by a bunch of different groups within the Lego group. It will absolutely need to be broader. It really is all-encompassing. If we think about the way that the metaverse is being brought to bear and what the vision for the metaverse could be, my personal opinion, and I think that's shared internally, is that it will touch all aspects of our business, ultimately, just as, you know, Web 2.0 does now in its own right. um, Web 3.0 or the metaverse uh, equally will do the same. So it will have to be, and already is, you know, in terms of of how it's planned organizationally and how we structure ourselves to support it much broader. Yeah. You know, it's interesting. Obviously, Bits and Bricks is very much, uh, to date, has been very much focused on the past. Um, and I think a big part of that are the lessons that come out of it. And you look at, especially when we're talking about 3.0 or Metaverse, you look at some of the big moves that the Lego Group has made over the years in the past and how those may be applied to the future. Are are you looking at things like Lego Universe comes to mind? I mean, there was a lot of interesting ideas. 
Like, are you looking at any of those sort of big efforts that were 2.0, kind of 2.5? Yeah. To, when you look at 3.0? Absolutely. So we've done quite a lot of sort of, you know, historiography on what came first. Um, what were the sort of success metrics of some of those products? Where did we struggle in the past? I'll give you one example. We've looked really hard at and tried to be incredibly transparent and kind of self-reflecting in terms of our approaches to digital building, which is, you know, it's a really tough aspect of digital play to crack and to get right and to be able to sort of hand tools for creativity over to users in a way that can make sense and not be overly complex, particularly in the kids' space when we're, you know, children are our audience for our products. So that's an aspect that we've really looked at in this context and tried to do all of that due diligence, understand what worked in the past and what hasn't worked in the past, make sure that we're taking that into account as we build new products. I don't think that journey will ever end, but it is one aspect that we're absolutely, past products are factoring into our decision-making. So after that interview, all of us, you, me, and Dave, uh, had a chance to walk back to meet the rest of the LEGO video games team in their offices. They had just moved there, so they said it wasn't fully decorated yet, but we found plenty to stare at, like a gigantic banner for LEGO Star Wars, the Skywalker Saga, the room packed with PCs for regular gaming sessions, many, many LEGO builds. And Brian, one of the things that I loved is they had this beautiful kind of tall cardboard cutout bits and bricks uh, timeline just kind of chronicling all the video games. It was so cool to see. It was very beautiful. Yeah, I'd love to see it in person. It was the first time I saw it not on a monitor. And so that was, it was like this big stand. Yeah. Uh, you know, they also had a little cake for us, which I thought was amazing. We all yeah, sat down so nice. and ate cake and chatted. And, you know, uh, Lego design master Don Meadows was there along with a bunch of other people. He came over almost immediately when we walked in uh, to get us to try this sort of uh, single button game, actually two of them, that he was developing for the upcoming play day, which we'll talk about later, but it was basically these little games that you could play just by, uh, you know, tapping the screen or pushing one button. And of course, we got a chat with so many of the others from the team, like uh, Lego Games Director Danny Bergman. That's right. I think, you know, Sandra Andresen, uh, Abhinav Sarangi, Ed Rasinskas, um, Anna's Home. I mean, gosh, who else? Yeah, it was great. It was like a, it was like a coming home party, and it was so neat to like be in that room with everybody, just hang out and chat. I loved it. Yeah. So it's important to understand that Hauamakten, where we visited the LEGO Games team, stands apart from the rest of the LEGO Group buildings in Billund. So for our next stop, we hopped in the car and made the short drive back to the center of town, just a block or so from the LEGO house. With Sean, we spoke about the past 25 years, but also the future connected to a virtual space that doesn't exist yet, the metaverse. The LEGO Group's push into this evolving technology will happen as all things at the LEGO Group happen, led by the company's strong core values. Values that emanate from the LEGO Group's founder, which are both remembered and taught at the LEGO Idea House. Now, unlike the LEGO House, which is a public museum of play dedicated to all things LEGO bricks and history, the LEGO Idea House is an unassuming building with an amazing history. It is the original family home of Olekert Kustjansen, the founder of LEGO, and the attached building was the woodworking shop and later the first LEGO factory. 
And you would never know that from the outside. It's a one-story red brick house with a red-tiled roof and several big windows with white grills and trim across the entire front. There's this plain white front door to match the windows that's framed by these two concrete lions laying on slabs. But there's nothing about the building that would suggest it houses not just an amazing history, but so much to learn. The Lego Group didn't just preserve this house, they've turned it into this amazing private museum that they use to introduce new employees and partners to both the history of the company and its important philosophy of play. We were lucky enough to spend some time with some of the folks who act as archivists and historians at the Lego Idea House. Yeah, and one of the Lego corporate historians, Sina Wiese, sat down with us to talk about the experience of working in this amazing private museum and why it remains an important facet of the company. And let's not forget where she sat down. Yeah. Sina can, can probably best explain that. Well, right now we're sitting in uh, the family house of the owner of the company. We are sitting in a room that we have chosen to call his office. So this is Ole's office. In fact, in the old days, when Ole actually had his office here, the rooms were a bit different. So this was not only his room, I think they also had a living room. But the reason why we chose to call it his office is because um, we do have some of his original furniture. For instance, I'm sitting next to Ole's desk so yeah, so this is the room we call Ole's office. I love that there is both, uh, and this is a very Lego DNA thing to me, but there's both a high level of respect, but also you're not afraid to sit at his desk. Mm. Yeah, and you just basically say, please just don't put your coffee on it. Pretty well, relaxed. I mean, yeah, I think that's just the way it is, right? I mean, things should be used. I am also, for instance, not the biggest fans of the guys. I, I understand the reason for buying a Lego set and never build it. I understand that it's a it's a way of, you know, preserving things. So I really appreciate that people are doing it. Myself, I must admit, when I buy a Lego set, I also build it. Because it's it's sort of what it's meant to be, right? Sina has a degree in history and then spent time as a journalist for six years before coming to the Lego Group, where she spends much of her time doing the same sort of thing that is done at most museums, working with archives to tell stories. But in this case, the stories are all about the Lego Group. She says it's like working at a traditional museum, but cooler. This Idea House Museum is an internal museum. When you work with the company, with the Lego Group, either as an employee or as a business partner, I think it's essential that you understand what kind of company we are. And understanding what kind of company we are and why we behave the way we do, you know, a good place to start if you want to understand that part is to know the company history. Because a lot of the things that we still do and still say all the time, uh, our core values, all of that is rooted in the fact that we are an old family-owned company. So we try to make sure that new employees and partners and so on, they get a chance to understand that by coming here um, and seeing the museum and getting a, a tour with one of us so that we get a chance to explain to them, you know, what it is that this company is all about. I mean... Because this is an internal museum, we focus very much on corporate history. So we talk about uh, business plans and we talk a lot about the family ownership and, and you know, the, the things that had led to the Lego Group becoming the company that it is today. If you're into more like the deeper corporate history, then you get it here. The work that Sina and Christian Reimahage, the other corporate historian at the Lego Idea House, do goes far beyond simply giving tours and preserving the company's history. They also work alongside Tina Fulberg-Mortison, 
the company's archivist to support a wide range of company projects. You can see their efforts in everything from the LEGO Group's amazing 90 years of playset to advertising and marketing campaigns to papers written on a variety of topics. Sina and Christian even host an internal podcast about the company's history. Sina Wiese and Christian Reimer Hauge are corporate historians in the historical department of the LEGO Group, the LEGO Idea House. In this podcast series, they take us through the history of the company, all the way from the beginning 90 years ago. This is the LEGO History Podcast. We have so many colleagues who will never be able to get here. So we, we keep trying to find new ways of reaching them with you know tiny bits of the history. Um, so we have this podcast project going on right now, where we basically just talk about LEGO history. We're sort of starting out with the first generation, and then the, we took a bit of a deep dive into the whole development of the um, Lego system in play and the Lego brick and so on. The first success he gets with, uh, with a wooden toy is actually with some wooden yo-yos. There is a craze around 1932 around here where everybody wants to have a, a yo-yo to play with. So he actually sells a lot of these yo-yos up until the point where the craze sort of dies down. Everybody has the yo-yos they, uh, they need. And then uh, suddenly Ole, he has um, a lot of unsold yo-yos on stock. And, you know, times are rough. You know, he can't afford just to throw these yo-yos out. You know, uh, he's spent time and, and money producing them. So um, he, he shows a little bit of creativity, actually. Yeah. And um, he cuts the yo-yos in half. And then he uses these half yo-yos as wheels. Yo-yo wheels. Yo-yo wheels. It's a yeah. good idea. Yeah, it is. It is. The Lego Innovation House is where the company's many talented designers make the future today. It's located just down the road from the Lego Idea House and next to the Lego Project House. We'd already swung by there for other interviews earlier in the week, but this was the first time we had to meet someone after hours. And it was a bit of an adventure, wasn't it, Brian? Yeah, you know, it helps that the person we were coming to meet was none other than master builder Niels Milan Pedersen. He's the guy behind the pirate theme set beloved by 80s kids and the Galador theme set that launched, well... A not-so-great television show? <laughs> yeah, but which you love, Brian, I know. I know. Because you're <laughs> about all things Galador. So you really have to go and listen to our episode about that if you haven't. It's a great story. Look for episode 37 of Bits and Bricks. It's, it's pretty tremendous. Yeah. So when you envision Niels, you have to envision someone larger than life. I mean, this is the guy who first gave a bit more personality to the minifig and sort of snuck a minifig skeleton into a set, much to the displeasure of Gottfried Kirk Christiansen. And his appearance didn't disappoint. He wandered up to the lobby barefoot, sporting an array of Nordic medallions and wearing a well-used leather vest, and on his head, a fading fedora. Lennon glasses slightly askew and a pen in his pocket, Niels looked like the embodiment of his own legend, a beloved Lego master builder, part-time archaeologist, and institution at the company itself. History, especially Lego group history, isn't just something you learn from folks like Sina at the Lego Idea House. It also comes from master builders like Niels, who are creating that history and helping to bridge the past and the future in their daily work. To say he has a storied history within the Lego group would be a massive understatement. 
but he likely wouldn't be at the company today if it weren't for the encouragement of his mother. We had very, very uh, few Lego breaks when I was a kid. And those we had, I was not allowed to play with for my uh, older brother because he claimed that I would make them dirty. And <laughs> I probably would. So uh, I hadn't any experience with Lego at all. I was actually more or less a fisherman before starting here at Lego. But uh, I had always made my own toys when I was a kid and also made toys for the other kids. And uh then at some point I needed some more steady work and my mother had seen uh, advertising in the uh, in some paper that Lego actually wanted a model builder, as they called it in those days. And she urged me to try to get that job. But I uh, wrote a letter and put in some city drawings because I've also always been uh, drawing a lot. And I sent that and thought I'll never hear from them. Well, actually, one day I came back, there was a big box uh, filled with uh, Lego bricks outside my door. No explanation what they expected, and that was typical of my boss-to-be because he had forgotten to put in the letter that came a couple of days later. <laughs> then I was supposed to build some sort of uh, space model and come with that to Billund and take some of the stuff I had made and if I had made drawings and things. So they said I should bring that, and that was probably what... Uh, brought me the job, not as much the model because that was, yeah, that was, <laughs> that was this old sort of uh, Lego space model I made. While Niels built a space model, the Lego group was actually looking for someone to work on the relatively new castle theme. Fortunately, the initial batch of drawings he had sent to the company were packed with castles. And when they called him back in for an interview, he brought with him a box of knights he had cast himself. It turned out that Jens Nugard Knutsen, the designer of the minifig, as well as the space, castle, and town themes, interviewed Niels, and he loved those little models. So, of course, he got the job. Yes, and all that despite showing up in an ill-fitting, rain-soaked brown velvet jacket and wandering around Billant for a while before finding the offices. He still managed to land the job. The day he started, he knew he had found his calling. Well, that was quite amazing because there were so few people, so I was shown around in the... That was some buildings which were where we are now sitting. So there were only uh, 12 designers, as far as I remember, and uh, 43 persons in the whole building, and that was with everybody. So uh, as far as I remember, I just had an introduction to all of them, and uh, yeah, and uh, Jens and... Daniel August Krentz, which was the other guy in the little group I was joining, was also such a friendly and nice person. So I just remember that time as being really, really fantastic and fun. And and actually, within the next 11 days, I made my first element, and it was approved after 11 days uh, for production, and it's actually still in production. It's the old space camera. As we mentioned, Niels would go on to design a number of well-known models and led the design for the Lego Pirates theme. Speaking of the pirate theme, Brian, and, and getting back to that skeleton minifig that Gottfried Christiansen, the son of the company's founder, had to personally approve, there's actually another funny story about that. We'll let Niels tell it, though. The difficult part was the Jolly Roger, the flag. Gottfried really didn't want me to make the skull and bones on that. So I can't remember how many, but I made so many different, tried to make something look piracy, but without skull and bones. But 
And in the end, we again had to go to Godfrey and convince him we couldn't make a Jolly Roger without the skulls and bones. And then, okay, finally he said, yeah, okay, but you have to make him smile. And I think I actually got the skull to have a nice smile. (laughs) More recently, he helped to bring the Lego Ideas dinosaur fossil set to market. Niels, of course, was the perfect pick to work with the fan-submitted creation. The main reason was that in my spare time, I have done that for many years, I'm actually sculpting uh, scientific accurate copies of dinosaur skulls and skeletons, and I'm actually right now more or less making my own museum with a lot of uh, dinosaur skeletons and skulls and things like that. Sculpting with clay, it turns out, is a big part of how Niels designs for the Lego group. I'm the last one only sculpting with my hands. All the others are mostly using computer programs for that. Neil said he sculpts with artificial clay and then bakes those pieces to make them hard. Before that, he would create his designs out of wood. It's a design process that is mostly gone at the Lego group these days. Some of them might start with a hand sculpt and have that scanned and then finish it on the computer. But uh, I'll be the last one uh, only doing it by hand. Do you feel, why do you do it that way still? Is there something? (laughs) Because I can't use a computer. (laughs) (laughs) Well, but also because you're an artist and that's how you've always done it, right? I mean. Yeah, yeah, that's my way. I've I've been sculpting since I was seven years old or something like that. So Yeah, what is that like for you? It's got to be a different experience when you see yourself surrounded by people who are using a mouse and a keyboard and you have your hands on something. Is that a very different experience, do you think? Yes, yeah, I'm really amazed at what they can do in those computer things, but uh, <laughs> I know that I can never get to that level, and I'm really uh, impressed how they can do that. But uh, I really have to have it in my hands to <laughs> to feel what I'm doing. And uh, yeah, as the 90th anniversary hits, Niels finds himself reflecting on what has become a surprising 40-year career as a toy maker. It's quite amazing still. You don't think about it in your daily work because that's just you concentrate of making the thing and do it the best way you can. But then later, then you're out in the world and suddenly see it put up on big billboards or seen in movies and hear people talk about it. And especially when you tell them, okay, I made that and I made that. And they say, whoa, did you make that? And what's... That's, I'm still quite uh, overwhelmed by that. Also that, yeah, Lego is so well known as it is nowadays because it certainly wasn't that big when I was a kid. Oh, and when I started here, especially nowadays when I see how what success they have, I'm so sorry that Jens and Daniel Kant isn't around to see it because they would have loved to see that it's going so well and yeah. Resina researches and preserves Lego Group history, and Niels is still deeply invested in creating the future through lessons learned in the past. Stuart Harris is a designer focused on working with fans in the Lego Group to present the company's history and deeply rooted values to the world right now. 
we met up with Stuart in a place that Lego house folks call Lego Square. It's a public space inside the Lego house that is free for anyone to visit. That's where you'll find full-size Lego brick people hanging out, even a Lego brick dog lifting his leg towards a real lamppost. You know, uh, Ethan, I actually snuck in a second visit to that square later that week to pick up some sets only available at its special store. Uh, and I spotted a massive Lego brick koi pond complete with lilies, flowers, stepping stones, and those fish all meticulously detailed with brick hidden around a corner. There's also a restaurant there called the Mini Chef, and of course, plenty of opportunities to hang out and play. It's not just a lobby, it's sort of a town square set up on the old town hall. You and I lugged our equipment to the square a bit after Dave arrived, and then Stuart walked us back over to the Lego Idea House for the interview. Stuart is one of the company's master builders, specifically the Lego house master builder, a distinction that means most of the work he does finds itself inside the company's Lego house in the heart of Billund. So there are several aspects to the job. One is I'm basically responsible for all the models in Lego house. It doesn't mean to say that I build everything, but I do get to take credit for everybody else's work, which is fantastic. So it's, it's about sort of art directing other model suppliers, like model shops that we have in the Lego group and so on. I'm also responsible for developing the concept models for the Lego house exclusive sets. So I get to do both the, the big stuff as well as sort of the normal, what a Lego designer would also work on. I'm also a, uh, if you like, a, I have an ambassadorial role at uh, Lego fan events, so I'll go to Lego fan events and represent the the Lego house at those kind of events. I'm also responsible for curating the fan content in Lego house. So when we run competitions or when we're selecting uh, uh, fans to exhibit their work in Lego house. To understand Stuart's job, you need to understand the Lego house. Opened in 2017, the centerpiece of the 12,000 square meter building is a roughly 50 foot tall tree made entirely of Lego bricks. The Tree of Creativity sculpture is constructed of more than 6.3 million bricks and rises from floor to ceiling. Wrapping around the tree is a spiral staircase that delivers visitors to the museum's four color-coded experience zones spread across multiple floors. We asked Stuart to explain how the design came about. We knew within the house there were certain locations where we wanted some kind of iconic big model, and of course the one in the center of the main staircase was an obvious place where we wanted a big model. So that was the first model that I briefed and worked with the model shop on, and we tried lots of different ideas about what it would be in that space, but we kept coming back to the idea of doing a tree because it, it was so meaningful for the Lego group. It was a great storytelling device. Uh, and there were also practical reasons. If you do a tree, you can put branches where you want, and therefore you can fill this kind of odd space, this odd void with this tree. But it was a very unusual model in that, you know, when you see a model, you would only see it from maybe a couple of different views from the side or from the top or whatever. This model you were experiencing in a full 360 uh, way. It's also 15.68 uh, meters tall, one of the biggest models we've ever, ever produced. And so we really needed to make it sort of really engaging as you climb the stairs. So that's why we, we put in all these little sort of um, details in the trunk and sort of carvings for the heritage in wooden toys, the generational ownership with their names and initials carved into the tree, and then the evolution of different play themes um, in the branches and so on. So really creating a quite a immersive and interesting journey as you climb those stairs. And then when you get to the Masterpiece Gallery, that's of course, that's the main showcase for the Lego fan community's work. And that was 
very fundamental in the thought behind the house that there was going to be a, a permanent home where LEGO fans could exhibit their work, and that's an annual change that we do. Every September, we change the content of the house. And then from the Masterpiece Gallery, you dive down into the, the sort of hands-on experience zones. That's divided into four coloured zones. So we have uh, the green, red, yellow, and blue. And each coloured zone is linked to a childhood development competence. We're very focused, of course, on learning through play. So that has been our thinking when we develop experiences in the house that we we anchor it into a learning through play uh, perspective. For example, the green zone is about social development. The blue zone is cognitive or problem-solving skills. Red zone is creativity. And yellow zone is emotional development. Then, of course, there's a fifth competence, which is uh, physical development. And that's where we have the playgrounds outside. So that's where you can go and let off the steam uh, kind of thing. So the experiences within those each of those uh, colored zones is tailored towards that uh, learning competence. And then in the basement, we have our history collection. So this is a, a very popular visit for some of the fans to actually sort of relive uh, their childhood and see those sets that maybe you got for Christmas or maybe you never got for Christmas. And, you know, I always think they should be, I don't know, sponsored by Kleenex or somebody like that because it was a very emotional moment going down into the basement and, and seeing the archive and seeing the timeline of the Lego group. The tree was actually constructed in the Lego Group's model offices in the Czech Republic and then transported to Denmark. Stuart said it arrived on 14 trucks in more than 30 pieces, 20 alone for the trunk. And it took around 24,000 hours to build. So that would be one person working on that model, that huge Lego brick tree for 12 years. But of course, the people at the model shop had a team working on it in three shifts, 24 hours a day, so they were able to put it together in nine months. Stewart said that the tree was actually never fully assembled until it arrived in the museum, which was a bit nerve-wracking. Once it was done, he gave it a big hug. So that makes Stuart a tree hugger then, right? Yeah. Yes, Ethan. Okay, okay, okay. <laughs> With the tree assembled and the museum open, Stuart spends his time now helping to design the different things showcased inside the museum. So, for instance, right now the top floor is dominated by three massive Lego brick dinosaurs. Basically, I, I put the brief together of what we want in that space. We have this big gallery space, and it's mostly dedicated to the work of the LEGO fan community. So these models were going to be built in our main European model shop in Klatno, just outside uh, Prague. They build sort of models for parks and retail stores and so on, so they're used to building all these massive uh, big models. But we wanted the fans involved in those. So I worked with a small online um, community. Uh, we've created this forum where the fans could contribute their creative suggestions on how we should develop these models. So they did everything from written descriptions to sketches to uh, digital designer files and, and so on and, and little prototypes and stuff. So they gave us all this input and we fed that into the, um, the model shop in the Czech Republic and they produced the dinosaurs based on the creative direction from the fans. Like the tree, the dinosaurs came in large parts and then were glued together to ensure they would stand up to the tribulations of public display. That's right. People can get a little handsy with Lego bricks. Yeah, go figure. <laughs> yeah. Yes, and you don't want a 20-foot-tall Lego T-Rex toppling over on someone. Exactly. So in designing them, Stuart and the team also have to make sure that these mega constructions don't actually crash through the floor. So there's a lot of people which go into uh, behind the scenes that go into developing these models. So there's a there's a big sort of technology team, engineering team that go into sort of uh, doing all the 
uh, engineering calculations, static calculations about weight and all that kind of thing. And, you know, we have certain weight limits on the floor and about how we distribute that weight to make sure that it, it's safe and stable. Um, so there is a lot of work that goes into the planning before you actually even start building. And remember, the job's not done once the models are installed. Yeah, this is the Lego group, and they like to have fun. (laughs) They sure do. And so in this case, each dino had two eggs by them. And over time, those eggs hatched, and now there are baby dinosaurs. Yeah, and funny enough, when we visited, we noticed that each of these massive dinosaurs had an ice cream in one hand and a little cleaning bottle on the other, which was, I think, a nod to the one-year birthday party they held for the dinosaurs and the need to keep things clean. It's now been, or will be soon, five years since the Lego house opened its doors. Yeah, you know, the Lego group is celebrating its 90th anniversary in August, but the Lego house is celebrating its fifth anniversary in September. I've been with the Lego group for 19 years. It's amazing to show the endurance and the, still the, the relevance of the of the brand and the, and the product. And, you know, it's it's all about the brick that is still as relevant today. And just what's amazing is, you know, the, the bricks we produce today are still compatible with the bricks. You know, the great foresight in the sort of from, from Godfrey in the early days to uh, to make this sort of uh, this system in play that worked through the generations. One could argue that Niels and Stuart represent the company's history, an icon who may be the last of his kind in his hands-on approach to Lego element and brick design, and a master builder whose efforts center around an experiential museum of Lego bricks. But our next two interviews are in many ways ambassadors for the company's future. Which is why we found ourselves back in the Lego Innovation House. It's also where you get great Danish coffee from machines that pour into little glass Lego-branded cups. Uh, I don't know if you still remember, Brian, but Dave was so obsessed with them that he took endless pictures. Uh, It was kind of like his version of the Brian minifigure that Brian took everywhere to tell the same joke over and over again. Right, Brian? (laughs) Hey, I like that joke. Wait, hold on a second. Let me... All right, sorry. Yeah. I had to get Mini Brian to set up his mic. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> that that there it is. That that running joke of the minifig. <laughs> He's here. I've got him. Oh, that's so, uh, great. so it was the Lego Innovation House where we met Jonathan Trier Brickner, an interaction design manager, and Benjamin Ludquist Ma, a digital play design manager. Both focus on experimenting with and designing new types of play experiences. Where Benjamin says he works on finding the fun in those new types of play. Jonathan likens himself to an animator at Pixar, working to make new Lego brick experiences come alive with light and sound. Perhaps most recently, you've seen their work on the Lego Super Mario theme sets. I was uh, responsible for creating Mario as a character. This is Jonathan. So you have a character that has to be brought to life. Lego Mario time! And somehow you have to figure out what are the tiny things that make people believe that he's a small character. So to give a really concrete example could be when you put Mario down and you put him on his back, he falls asleep. And then you think about like how, what is the sound of a little guy falling asleep? What's, at what point does he fall asleep? All those little things that sell kids on the notion that this guy is now sleeping on your table. Everything that goes into that, that's animation, it's sound design, it's having the right little technical gestures. It's putting all those things together so that when kids do it, it's just natural. They don't think about it. Well, I worked with Jonathan on Lego Super Mario, and I guess that's actually a quite uh, relevant experience. This is Benjamin speaking. Where, for example, Mario falling asleep is the tip of the iceberg of a lot of features that we've explored. 
And my job is sort of trying out that entire iceberg of possibilities in when we then do come up with the the things that test really well with Kit that people like Jonathan then work on actually making them good where we just find the things that are, have potential. See you later. One of the important phrases here is fluid play. It's something we've talked quite a bit about in the Bits and Bricks podcast. It's this notion of allowing the child to fluidly move between the physical and digital experiences by removing any speed bumps, smoothing out the experience so that those playing don't even think about the transitions. We asked Jonathan where he thinks his work sits in relation to that concept. When we're designing, a lot of the times, I don't think we necessarily care about the specific term you know, we, we sit and play with stuff. We sit and feel it out. We're like, does this feel natural to me? Do I naturally want to do something? So I think one notion we often talk about in our team is how can we just support what kids naturally want to do? So instead of saying to kids, like, you have to do it in this way because we designed it so, we look at, like, what do kids already do? What do kids feel like they already say and do? What are the, the emotions and feelings they already have? Like, how can we support what they would already want to do? So that they don't, we don't make an experience where it's like something they want to do, something they want to do, something, and then, oh, now you have to use another thing or device, you break the flow, and then you have to go back. We try to keep that flow so that they never notice that they're changing between styles of play. They're just, to them, it's just play. It's the same if you ask kids, like, about the different things kids do if they play video games, if they play with toys. To them, it's not like I play video games or I play with toys. To them, it's just play. And we think about it in the same way. Like we just want kids to play. And if we want the experience to change over time, it should all just feel like play. It's not a, there's no break where they have to go, now I have to do the other thing and then go back to play. It's all just play. So I don't think we necessarily care about the, the terms. We just care about making great play. And doing that, creating experiences that transcend their form factors, is becoming easier and easier thanks to advances in technology, according to Ben. Technology, of course, changes over time. So our toolbox of enabling these kinds of play experiences for kids gets easier over time. Technology is more easily embedded in toys. And as Jonathan said, you know, play is play. It's not that we're aiming to put technologies in, but when a certain play experience needs it, we have the ability to. And that's just really cool. It's just become clearer that when we integrate technology that we keep the Lego DNA in the experiences, that we don't try and replicate other companies or other products' experience and just put a Lego label on top of it, but rather figure out what makes this inherently Lego, why is this unique to us, why could no one else do this, and try and pull off those experiences instead and bring technology in there. And that's where I think, you know, Maybe in the early days of Lego Super Mario, some people were skeptical of why are you putting technology into a figure? Why not just use the bricks? But I think bringing the technology into that play experience, we just brought the bricks out and made them more relevant or relevant in a different way that you might not inherently play usually. And of course, when technology meets Lego bricks, another byproduct is the Lego video game, something both Jonathan and Benjamin think about a lot. Both see in video game creations featuring the Lego brick something that at its heart is a reflection of the company's core DNA. When I look at the Lego video games, they don't feel like any other video games that are on the market. And I think that's because there are so many Lego values in these things. 
and why others are not trying to replicate it while still being admired in the video game industry and the market and among players. Because it has some of these Lego DNAs that are inherently Lego. They have mashups, they have the Lego humor. The bricks are also there. Building is part of it, but it's not just a skin type of building. You know, you can take character from one movie or one franchise and put in another one and what happens when they come together. And that's like playing with your Lego sets at home. So it is bringing the Lego experience to the screen. The different companies making them have gotten progressively better and better at replicating the feeling of Lego. This is Jonathan. Even if it's a video game of like the Lego movie video game, where you're essentially running around like a Mario-esque run and jump type game, that isn't necessarily about building as a core thing. It's still like, even down to the sound design, like the little sounds that the game makes when you build something or the way the brick looks like it's slightly damaged, like somebody's been playing with it, brings you back into your own fantasy of, oh, I wish I could build a dragon with a house on top with jet engines. Because you see something, it looks used, it looks like a Lego experience. So even if it's not inherently about building, that feeling of Lego, we're getting into the digital experiences better and better. I, as a kid, grew up with both Lego and video games. This is Benjamin speaking. And I was really inspired to make video games myself, so my entire education and background has been in video game development and design. And I always figured that my future was in video games. And then uh, the day I got to choose between two jobs, I picked the Lego one, because I think I realized that Ultimately, it comes down to play, right? Video games is just a different medium or a different interaction into a play world, just like bricks are. So we're always, as play designers, going to learn from video games, just like video games in the past has always learned from physical toys. Those things always inspire each other, and I think they're going to continue to do. Technology is moving forward, both for physical toys and sensors, like they are for video games that look nicer and feel nicer and can connect online. So that sort of constant feeding into each other, that's going to continue to happen. It's about now in the interview that I realize we're about to miss the kickoff to the annual play day. We're sitting in the Lego Innovation House, chatting with Benjamin and Jonathan when I noticed the time. That's right. So I break down the equipment, and you and Dave literally run off to figure out where everything is happening. Yeah, and it doesn't take us long to find this massive line of employees all walking toward a single field half hidden in a copse of trees. The field is squeezed between the new LEGO campus and Legoland, and it's been transformed into what looks like a fairground. On the sides are massive tents and booths set up with different games, and at the far end is a stage where LEGO Group CEO Niels B. Christensen is welcoming the crowd of employees and then introduces Thomas Kirk Christensen, the great-grandson of founder Ola Kirk Christensen, son of Kjell Kirk Christensen, so many Christiansons, Brian. <laughs> there are. And current chairman of the board of LEGO AS and the LEGO Foundation. I must say it is really, really fantastic to be able to see all of you together here today. We have been missing that for so long. So uh, really fantastic, spectacular view here. Thank you very much to my father and the rest of the family for joining us here today to celebrate Play Day and uh, 90 years anniversary for the LEGO Group. I can tell you that 
throughout the time, there has been a lot actually, or some at least, uh, that didn't necessarily think that we would reach 90 years. But uh, here we are, stronger, bigger, better, reaching many more children and more playful than ever. And that doesn't just happen by chance. It happens because of all of you, our amazing employees. It's because of you who every day relentlessly push with dedication, passion and super hard work for creating even better, more creative play experiences to reach children all over the world. I am truly amazed by uh, the dedication you show. So thank you so much for that. Without you, we couldn't have done it. It is 90 years, so it's also a thank you to all of the people who have throughout the time somehow participated in creating the, the brand and the company to what it is today. I think this is a, a time for celebration, so I think now we should just go out and uh, have fun. Congratulations, happy birthday, happy play day, and go out and uh, have a fantastic, playful afternoon. Thank you so much. As the speech wraps up, all of those thousands of people start to disperse to the events spread out across the field, around the campus, and inside the new campus building. Now, in the field where we are standing, there are four different tents set up with different events and activities. There's this thing called Crash Test Time Travelers. There's a sand track rally, which is basically this waste-level uh, sandboxes that were set up where people could build racetracks in these piles of beach sand and then try to roll steel marbles down their creations. And then there was something called Tomorrow's Wish, which was asking employees to take a tiny piece of paper and write their own wish on it. The paper is then folded up and put in a tiny little Lego briefcase, which is put into the hand of a minifig and placed in a real-time capsule, which was meant to be opened in 10 years. You know, it's here where we spotted Kel for the first time. He's at a table sitting shoulder to shoulder with other employees, proudly wearing a 90th anniversary badge he had made at another booth and writing out his own message to the future. Now, it's funny, I was looking at some of the photos I took of that event and of him, and in one of the photos, he's holding up the message and I can actually make out that what he's written is always ask questions. Wow. I love that. Yeah. I mean, it was it was pretty amazing to see Kelt. You know, he's, what, uh, 74 now, out and about, chatting with everyone and having just as much fun playing as everyone else at the event. So across the field, we spotted another large tent that was home to the Time Toss. And we'll let Dave explain. He was actually moderating it real time. It's pretty cool. We're at the Time Toss, Brian. Yeah, and you were telling me that this is basically... Uh, cornhole? Cornhole meets... Skee-ball. You got it. Right. Now, I know skee-ball. Cornhole is where you stay. There's two boards and a hole in each board, right? Yeah. And you're standing, I don't know, 20 feet apart, and you toss corn. That's not corn. right. I don't think you're tossing. Bags of corn. Just like these people in front of us. There's dozens of people tossing it. I think these Except are the difference bags. is with these 
The, well, I mean, it's corn was supposed to be in the bean bags, but we're trying to paint a picture here. Okay. This is theater of the mind, okay. Brian. All right. The difference between this and cornhole is, in part, there's three holes here, yes. which I believe represent past, present, and future. Past, present, and future. The name of, of two room. two excellent bits and bricks episodes. Are you, if you had to be the past, the present, or the future, which would you be? Uh, I think I would be the future, because then I would never die. Oh, okay. Wait, that doesn't make any sense. Can we see what it says on the board? What, where does it say? Oh, it just, I don't think it says anything, does it? It, it does. Throw two bags at once, extra turn. Extra turn. Extra Plus 10. Oh, turn. so you get one, five, or 10 Through points. Through one leg next time. Skip I think he got 10 turn. points. See in the top Almost. left corner there, Ethan? Yeah. Those are the Lego pieces. Those are part of my oh. era, the late 80s, early 90s. Extra turn. You got an extra turn by doing that. Back at the new campus building, there were booths spread across the front grounds where you could play Twister, board games. You could grab a cup of coffee and have this delicious Lego brick-inspired cupcake. And of course, you could build things with Lego bricks. And Brian, I, you know, we both sort of lost track of time building Lego yo-yos in one tent when Kelt walked over to compliment us on our building skills. Uh, I can't tell you how tempted I was to just press record on my recorder and fire away with some questions. But you could tell that he was all about the immediacy of the experience, you know, interacting in the festivities and definitely not on a press tour. So I think it was wise for us both to just enjoy his fun way to critique our creations. I mean, how often do you get the grandson of the founder of the Lego company to look over your shoulder while you're building? And, you know, I have to point out that... He walked up, and I believe he said that my yo-yo was a nice yo-yo, but that he questioned the stability of your yo-yo. I question your stability sometimes, Brian. (laughs) 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 Well, I'm not sure he was really impressed with what either of us were trying to, you know, cobble together. Uh, But it was so nice to chat with him in such a laid-back setting, right, Brian? Yeah, fortunately, he wasn't there when I tried my first yo for my yo-yo because it went down and just flew apart, (laughs) like 50 (laughs) pieces. But yeah, he was such a genuine nice guy. And it was, like you said, it was so neat seeing him sort of just walking around, you know? No protective detail, no handlers, just hanging out, having fun. That was really great. And once we kind of put together our, our, you know, yo-yos, there was, of course, the Lego campus building, which was packed with fun things to do and filled this day with throngs of smiling employees walking around its perimeter, enjoying the weather, the company, and the play. The new Lego campus is really a thing to behold. It shouldn't come as a surprise to anyone that this is not your typical corporate headquarters. Yes, anything but. The building itself took five years of construction and planning to create. It's 54,000 square meters in size and home to 2,000 employees. And it is so playful. There are off-kilter pieces of the building that look a bit like Lego bricks. There's this massive minifig sitting in front of the building, and inside it's it's packed with a crazy assortment of neat designs and features. Yeah, there's the massive foyer that has three huge floating Lego bricks equipped with screens that can show different images, and a Lego brick yellow staircase spirals up around this huge open space. There were also tons of brick displays spread throughout the space, like a life-size lawnmower. 
There was also, a, you know, this world map made of Lego elements. And really the most stunning thing there was a Bugatti Chiron complete with working lights, engine sounds, and even Michelin tires. I had to resist every instinct in my body to not just jump in through the open top and vroom, 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 vroom in the front seat. I could see you doing that. I could see you doing that, Brian. But I love that nearby they had a mechanics workbench. And it was just packed with these tools for the car, all made of Lego bricks, of course. Yes, and uh, let's not forget the people house. This is a, a section of the building that was designed with the help of employees. It features a fitness center, a creative workshop, a cinema, activity zone, kitchen, health clinic, even sleeping quarters. Now, all that's there on a normal day, but today wasn't a normal day. And that space, of course, was packed with more things to do on this Lego play day. Yeah, there was a place to make music. There were displays showing off past creations, a, a massive Lego brick birthday cake, and a second cake-like creation made by the Lego group. That was exceptionally cool. It was the largest ever fully animated brick build Zoetrope, which is basically a device that uses a collection of images to produce the illusion of motion. Each of the nine moving layers of the creation brought to life a different decade of the history of the Lego group. Lego video games also had quite a footprint at Playday, including those two amazing one-button games created by Don and the talented team at Sublab Games, Ooh. Lego Star Wars The Skywalker Saga, of course, a look at the upcoming Brick Tales game, and, much to our surprise, a booth dedicated to Lightbrick Studio, creators of Builder's Journey. Yeah, now keep in mind, we've talked to the folks over there a couple of times. We've done two different episodes, one on the game and one on what's to come. And while this wasn't Lightbrick Studio co-founder Karsten Loon's first Lego play day, it was the first one he's gone to not as an employee, but rather as a sort of outsider, showing off something special to the Lego group, their next still secret game. Now I know you can't tell us what's behind this wall, but we know it's your next thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, you're, you, as we've talked about in previous episodes, you play test regularly. Yes. So this is a live play, te play this test. This is a live play test, yeah. We, we test every Friday and we don't, almost don't miss a day. So today we thought, hey, why not when, we, when, we, when we're out here, just put it behind semi-closed doors and people can start and try it and test it out. We get sort of a very big, big crowd coming through and we get some, uh, some input on the game. And there are, I think they said 5,000 people here. So... That's going to be a huge playtest, right? It is, it is. And for us, it's also about, you know, obviously we're a small studio and we're a spin-out of the Lego group. Not everybody knows about us, right? So this is a great opportunity for us for some internal, uh, you know, uh, visibility. People are actually, uh, are, you know, excited about the games and have, have tried it before. And, you know, some, some haven't tried it, but some haven't even heard about it before. So it's really good to get that internal visibility in a big company like this. So what does it mean, do you think, for a company to set aside uh, a day to allow all of its employees or to encourage all of its employees to play? It means everything. I think it should be set aside more days, right? I mean, uh, it should play every day. And I think that, you know, it's, it's, it's what we do. It's where we, we come from. And if we don't do it ourselves and uh, practice what we preach, it's, we're not doing it right, right? So I think we should play every day. We should have a you know, uh, play day every week. If that was possible, I think it's, it's so hugely important. 
Mats Prom, Lightbrick Studios' other co-founder, was also there, reconnecting with all of his former colleagues and just having fun being inside this wonderful new campus building and watching everyone play with this new game. I'm mostly watching people's faces, and I see they are, they are smiling and they are laughing, and it looks like they're having a good time. So that's, yeah, that's what we're hoping for. So Brian, I, I know you and Dave played this new Lightbrick Studio game. I can neither confirm nor deny that I played a really fun new game from the people behind Lightbrick Studio. <laughs> or that quite a long line formed behind us while we may or may not have been playing it. Okay. But I can say that memories of what I did or didn't experience are still strong, despite the amazing week we had in Billund. You have become a perfect politician. Thank you for that answer. Uh, I mean, there was a lot to take in, and so much of it was memorable. Our next episode is really going to dig into some of those things, like our visit to the Lego house and Legoland, getting tours of the company's secretive, secure archives, and walking the floor of the Lego factory. There were so many minifig hands, so many hands. I know, you'll never be the same, Brian. You've seen it all now. You've looked behind the curtain. I have. <laughs> we also got a chance to chat with the mayor of Billund about how the company and town work together, and then met with Charlotte Sandmatsen, a former Danish Minister of Science, Technology, and Development, who once led the Lego Group's R&D department and now dedicates her time to the Capital of Children initiative. You're not going to want to miss it, but let's circle back to Play Day in this episode. So, Brian, returning to Billund was poignant for me since I felt like I was not only returning to a place filled with so many personal memories since my work with the Lego Group beginning in 2008, but in a way, I myself had kind of changed over the years. And working alongside you, Brian, and, and diving into the history of digital play and really fortifying and deepening my knowledge on all things Lego history and Lego DNA made me really learn to savor every single moment on this journey we took to, to the heart of the Lego brick. And to see Billant for the first time through your eyes, through Dave's eyes, through Trish's eyes, you know, it, it, it made the experience even more enjoyable. Man, it was just really cool. It's clear to me that, you know, the Lego group has a purposeful and meaningful culture that is driven by creative minds and employees that are proud of their involvement and contributions. The 90th anniversary and play day as the expression of that was the culmination of the marvels we witnessed that week. And seeing Keld walk around the crowds with a smile, a fist pump, uh, you know, the occasional handshake that he offered was really touching. And I can't imagine what the next 10 years will bring for the LEGO Group in terms of products, sets, movies, video games, and the metaverse. But one thing for me I think is very certain, that the roots of their history and culture grow deep and wide and will continue to fortify their place in the hearts and minds of children and adults through many more generations. Yeah, you know, we've been doing this podcast for nearly two years now, and, and I've been researching and interviewing folks at the Lego Group about the Lego Group for a bit more than three years. I feel like I've learned a lot and, and that I know a lot, but taking this journey, making this pilgrimage has connected so many dots for me. It isn't just about putting faces to names, but putting places to ideals and values. Going to Billund, walking through the halls where people design sets, seeing the places they inhabit, the world they live in, it brings important context to what so many people have described to us as Lego DNA. 
that the people who dedicate their lives to sparking joy and fueling fun would take a day off once a year to play together shouldn't be surprising, but it is, and you know, it's delightful. In many ways, Play Day is an inversion of Lego DNA. It's, it's a chance for the world's most known toy makers to reconnect with their inner child, to seek inspiration from their own history, to reflect on the powerful values of imagination, fun, creativity, caring, learning, and quality that have served the Lego group so well, to remember the promise of building joy as true partners with each other and co-creating fans, and to experience the product of a company built on the spirit of only the best, being good enough. Bits and Bricks is made possible by LEGO Games. Your hosts are Brian Crescenti and Ethan Vincent. Producing by Dave Tack. Our executive producer is Ronnie Scherer. Creative direction and editing by Ethan Vincent. Research and writing by Brian Crescenti. Art direction by Nanan Lee. Graphics and animations by Manuel Lindinger and Andreas Holzinger. Mixing and sound design by Dan Carlisle. Disclaimer voice is Ben Ungren. Openings child voice is Milo Vincent. Music by Enric Lindstrand, Peter Primer, and foundermusic.com. A special thanks to the Lego Idea House and Tina Froberg-Modison for their help on this episode. We'd like to thank our participants, Jonathan Trier-Brickner, Stuart Harris, Christian Reimer-Hage, Karsten Lund, Benjamin Lundquist-Ma, Sean McAvoy, Niels Milan-Petersen, Mads Bram, and Sina Wiese. For questions and comments, write us at bitsandbricks at lego.com. That's bits, the letter N, then bricks at lego.com. And as always, stay tuned for more episodes of Bits and Bricks. (laughs) 